Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Seagal to my Van Dam. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing great. Okay. <laughs> now I'm in anticipation. Salt. And our very own Bruce Willis. It's Eric Ronald. Oh, Eric, wow. How you doing? The only, the only true action star amongst 90s action stars. I'll take it. Wow. No one asked I'm, you, Hudson Hawk. No one <laughs> Hey man, just, I'm uh, starved North Bruce Willis. I said to say the the <laughs> dynasty like you. the dynasty draft is popping off. Seahawks Nest Dynasty draft. If you're following in the uh, Discord, we've already we're, we're already into the fourth pick. We get 24 hours to pick though. Uh, but man, there's trades. It's going crazy in there. So been it's been a good time already. Uh, but that was that's not the only draft that happened. Oh no, the Seahawks participated in the NFL draft, kind of. <laughs> Some they limited <laughs> participation. They, uh, they, they completed three picks in the NFL draft, trading. Uh, they kept their second-round pick, just drafted from that spot. John Fraley ate some butter because of it. Then <laughs> then they uh, traded down in the fourth round to pick up a, a, a later pick, then used that pick in combination with their other pick to get a sixth-round pick. And so we ended up with a second, a fourth, and a sixth, and we drafted three guys. So... One thing I've seen all over the place is like a lot of people are like, well, you know, you got to give the class a C because it only has three guys in it. And they're like, but each individual pick seems really good. Or they say each individual pick seems really good, but they don't like Dwayne Eskridge. That yep. that's a that's a common theme also. Um, and I just got to say, uh, OK, but they I do think that the Seahawks came into this draft with with a one major need and one minor need. The major need being they needed to get cornerback and they drafted a cornerback and we'll talk about the actual player in a second they came into the need with a minor need uh interior defensive line which they just chose not to address and then you know we do need a third wide receiver so Eskridge people are acting like this is a luxury item like we do not need to draft Dwayne Eskridge why did we draft a third wide receiver the Seahawks played out of 11 personnel one tight end and one running back on 67 percent of their plays last year so, yeah, they need a third wide receiver. This guy's on the field all the time. And a, and a weapon like Eskridge is a huge upgrade over David Moore, which I know there are some people who probably listen to this who love David Moore. And that's good. You can love David Moore. That's a person that you are totally allowed to love. But <laughs> this is a big upgrade, at least from a skills perspective, over David Moore. So, so yeah, it makes sense why they went there. Now, some people are probably going to disagree with maybe the – player because there was other wide receivers on the board that we could have taken Terrace Marshall uh, who else was available Dimey Brown Dimey Brown there's other guys there's other directions they could have gone gone but they were kind of looking for a skill set so anyway before we get into too much about the specifics of the players that we picked Eric I have a question for you yeah if you if you before the draft we did it we did a mock where we only picked three times yes we and we went wide receiver cornerback offensive line yes we did <laughs> so, so and you said that that was an okay plan that you would you would be a-okay with that yes and that you'd be fine with it and you think it was good so the seahawks in their real draft went wide receiver cornerback offensive line now that it has happened that you've lived that experience <laughs> that in real life dream. yeah did you did do you still think that that was a that was the right way to go I do. Uh, I also said there would be shenanigans, and there were, with them trading down and then just trading, trying to trade down, not being able to. Yeah, they burned every second yeah. of the 10 minutes on the uh, yes. on the first pick. They were, like, desperately trying to trade down. I think because they thought that 
that I, if, if you ask me, I think they thought there was three wide receivers. They felt three or four wide receivers. They felt okay with at that point. Yeah. Um, I would say at least three there were, it was so funny though, because I, with three draft picks in this draft, uh, supposedly not very strong draft class. I couldn't be mad about anything really, unless we traded a bunch of draft picks for like sixth and seventh rounders. But it yeah, we was didn't so give up any future assets either. I thought that was no, nice. and we're, we're pretty stacked for next year's draft. It's looking very promising. It's supposedly oh, they, oh, they, oh, they were missing the first round pick. We <laughs> don't ever use a first round draft pick. We have a lot of mid round picks. It's it's gonna be perfect for us next year. But yeah, for this draft class, I mean, we can go over the the certain picks that we got. But this is this is kind of living the dream. It was. It was everything I thought we we could do and wouldn't do, but we actually did. So uh, we, let's go into the individual picks then, I think. Let's let's get into it. So the Seahawks' first selection at pick 56, they selected Dwayne Eskridge, um, a guy who landed on Bruce Feldman's freaks list because he ran a laser-timed 4-3-3-40, a little faster than his protein. He with 350 bench to a 505-pound squat, 37 and a half inch vertical. And I'm going to start off with this. I see a lot of people are a non-zero amount of people posting on Twitter stuff like, Oh, well he never had over 800 yards in college. Yeah. But it's pretty cool that he had 786 yards last year in only six games. The Mac only played six games, guys. This yeah, he was a, on, what was it? Somebody said he was on pace for a 1400 yard season. He had the, their quarterback only threw for about 1500 yards. He had half of all of the team's <laughs> receiving yards. Okay. This is you, the production is not a question. Okay. If someone comes at you and they're like, well, Dwayne Eskridge didn't really produce in college. You can just stop listening to them at that point because Dwayne Eskridge was really good in college. Uh, his, in the 2020 season, he was on pace to have a, an incredible season. Um, well, and he was limited in 2019 due to injury. And so I think that's also different. It's not like the dude was riding the pine, you know? Yeah. Uh, ran the three-cone drill in 6.66 seconds, elite change of direction, 93rd percentile NFL wide receiver. Shuttle run, ran it in 3.98, 97th percentile. Now, the other stuff is not like crazy high percentile, but... Oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong guy. I'm looking at Jan. <laughs> I went to the wrong guy. 80, 89th percentile. Sorry. So this guy has elite elite athleticism right he jumps far he jumps high he runs fast um let's just start with this how do you think that that this matches up with the shane waldron offense kevin uh i think he's a really good fit because this reminds me a little bit of dk when he came out and everyone was like well dk metcalf he's got this limited route tree he can only do these things and then we all looked at the seahawks offense we were like wait a minute i want a guy who does those things mm-hmm. let's get a guy who does those things and then he came in, and his first year in the NFL, he did those things, and everybody was happy. Like, he ran goes and hitches and post routes, and it was all good. And so I look at Dwayne Eskridge, and I see a guy who runs, like, slants and overs and posts and vertical slot routes and jet sweeps and screens. And then I look at the offense that Shane Waldron's going to be plugging in, and I see an offense that really uses a lot of over routes and slants and, and screens and and slot vertical routes. And I'm like, wait a minute. If that's all this guy does and that's what we're asking that position to do, 
I'm not really seeing a problem here. Like he can gain that versatility to play inside and outside later on. For right now, he fits a role. He's that guy who's going to play like the Robert Woods role where he uh, is the jet motion in the run fakes. And he's probably going to be like the second or third read coming across the field on the boot action passing plays. So like you can, you can really look at the offense and see what he can do. Get ready for a lot of boot action. There's so much boot action in this offense like that. And and this guy will be awesome on, on this, on this place. Okay. A couple more Dwayne Eskridge facts, average over 20 yards per catch in all three of his uh, 2018, 2019 and 2020 season. And then I'm going to just talk a couple scouting notes that I wrote down. Um, One at the line of scrimmage, this guy can shake the cornerback. He really can get, get off the line of scrimmage and, for a guy who's 5'9", 190, we've seen small guys in Seahawks uniforms like Doug Baldwin totally get off the line of scrimmage, even though it doesn't seem it seems like they should be overpowered uh, by by bigger guys. And Dwayne Eskridge is going to be one of those guys where he's going to uh, he's going to be getting off uh, the line of scrimmage and really um, cr- like crushing guys on the line of scrimmage that you know kind of has has a good has good moves to really yeah he could beat press in a way you wouldn't think. Yeah. And he played outside mostly in, in college. Let's start with that too. Um, so, you know, you don't expect him to just be one dimensional and that's good because a lot of the way that our offense is going to work next year is to kind of try to create mismatches. Right. And him and Tyler being interchangeable pieces on the outside, one of them can line up in the slot. One of them can line up outside and they can switch. You know, I'm, I'm guessing they'll fit. They'll, they'll favor Dwayne in the slot. Right. Because, because of his skill set, but the fact that he can line up outside, run a really good uh, straight line route, just be lightning fast in the is uh, is is a benefit, right? So, and <clears throat> getting off the line of scrimmage is the is the challenge for him, and he will be able to rise to that challenge. In, in my opinion, uh, proven deep threat. This guy was this guy is is ready to go. Um, His college coach said that he's probably the fastest player he's ever seen. Uh, he can separate at the line. He's either good at, uh, going across the field and up and deep, uh, running the slot route, going outside. Uh, I'm very excited about this guy. This looks, uh, watching his tape. It looks a lot like Tyler Lockett. When we drafted Tyler Lockett, his Colorado tape, it was, uh, similar shades of that tape that I watched on YouTube all those years ago. And, some people hate this pick, but I don't know. It's, it's looked like a Seahawk guy to me. Watching his watching his plays on the outside, he looks like Golden Tate and how he and would go up and get the ball. Speaking of Golden Tate, one area where the Seahawks offense has been deficient in recent years is yards after catch. Um, and yards after catch is a was a Golden Tate specialty, right? Catching the yep. ball, making something happen after the catch. In call uh, in twenty twenty, in that season where he had uh, seven hundred and eighty six yards on on 34 receptions <laughs> which is absurd he also averaged 14.4 yards after catch per reception first in the nation this guy gets after it after he catches the ball um really knows how to how to create uh you know get out in space and make people miss uh yeah yeah and that's good. an asset that you see in the return game which is another place would be good the other thing is he played cornerback in college so this guy can contribute um, on both sides of special teams in the return game. But also, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, play a gunner or something like that if, you know, he can win out the spot. Yeah, and we know that 
Pete is more than willing to let guys play on special teams, even if they're like a contributing member of the offense or defense. We saw it for years where Richard Earl and Cam would go out and, and tackle guys on kickoffs, right? Yep. He, he doesn't care if you want to do that. If you have, and you, and you go out and win that job too, then you can, you can have that job. And I could totally see it, Kevin. I think you're right. Dwayne out there on a punt play, just running down, uh, running down and trying to kill their, their punt returner. <laughs> yeah. And then another thing, I, I don't know if you call this on tape. I thought he was a really physical run blocker and he okay. really got into it. Like he's going to be a little limited because of size, but I think he's capable of do, of holding down the role. I didn't really watch for that, and I should have in retrospect because we have talked before about how a Shane Waldron offense, uh, the Ram style offense, requires wide receivers to block. Yeah. And this guy, this guy, if this guy gets after it in the blocking game, that is excellent. So, all right, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how do you, how did you feel? How do you feel about Dwayne Eskridge now that we have made the pick? Ten being like it's it's amazing, one being it's horrible. Eric, I need to be a little even keeled, so I'm going to give it a nine. Nine. All right, Kevin. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven. I think I would have liked it a little more if he'd been able to trade back and get him. But I like the player. I like the fit in the scheme, and I'm okay with where we drafted him. I thought he was like a early to mid third guy, and we got him in the late second. I I'm gonna give it an eight, and I'm mostly because the way the Rams drafted Simi, uh, not so, drafted uh, Tutu Atwell in the next pick makes me think that this is the player they wanted, and so they drafted like the miniature sized version of him, which is it crazy. Like a total panic pick, I agree. He's, he's already small, and I'm gonna tell you, Tutu Atwell is smaller. He weighed in in his pro day at like 150, which is where he needed to prove how much he weighs. So that means he was trying to be heavy. Yeah, this dude is insanely light. Um, so, so yeah, I'm I'm a uh, super into super into the pick. I think it really screwed over the Rams, and I, I do think that, like like I said before, the the team was maybe looking at like, oh, we'll trade down, we'll get whoever's left out of Eskridge, Marshall, and Brown. You know, one of those three guys will be there for us six pick, six or seven picks from now. But they couldn't find a trade partner, and that happens sometimes, right? They just no one no one wanted to give them a, a trade that even was sort of fair, and so. All right, the next player the Seahawks drafted, they traded back a little bit, then they went corner, okay? And there's lots of – we talked earlier about how press man, lengthy corners were – there were a lot of them in this draft. And the Seahawks go and they draft a guy who I crossed off the list immediately because he had 30-inch 30, 30, uh, arms. I was like, oh, they're not going to draft this guy. And uh did not matter to them. They did not care. And – it surprised me because I thought the DJ Reed lesson might be that it's okay to draft someone who's short. And instead they went in a totally different direction, which is like, we're going to draft someone who, who plays the position in the way that we want him to play the position. Right. Wouldn't you agree with that, Kevin? Yeah. From- I think he was a extremely physical press man corner at Oklahoma and he got left on an Island a lot. And so if you look at the way, like, you remember last year, like Eric, you remember last year when we were frustrated about the 10 yard cushion the corners were giving? Of course, yeah. Yeah. And if you look at like 2019 tape and before, we were always up on the line. Even if we didn't actually put hands on the receiver at release, um, like we were always up on press coverage, uh, even in zone. That's what Trey did at Oklahoma. He has two years of press coverage against like top flight wide receiver talent. These are these are guys that that Trey you can watch Trey Brown on tape cover. Okay, you can watch him cover Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy, Jalen Rager, and Justin Jefferson. And I don't know if you've watched college football lately or, or the NFL. All those guys got drafted in the first round. 
you can watch him play NFL level talent on tape for a lot of games. And I'm just going to say he, he holds up like he guys will be bigger than him. Guys will be stronger than him. Uh, well, you think they would be, and he will just get right in their face and knows how to use his body to, to knock them off what they want to do to press them on the line. He is shut. He is shut down. And people who I think, I think one thing is like, just people look at the physical traits and they say, Oh, this will be a slot corner. Um, this is <laughs> that was not my slot, question for this you is guys. not a slot cornerback the, you did not watch him play very much i mean he think. totally could play slot corner and be good but Th- that's the main concern fat. though is that we drafted a slot cornerback for and for a main quarterback role he's fast enough to do the role but like he shut down tylen wallace like yep. in the oklahoma state games like th- those are the games that i watched them that was the game i watched the most to see like i wanted to see how did he line up against Talon Wallace? Because that was recent. It was only three games ago. I think it was the third to last game they played. And so I was like, I want to see how he matched up this guy. Because this is a guy I think is a, you know, a, an NFL or close to NFL level talent. And he was really good against him. He he just is really, he's really smooth. He he plays really strong. He plays way above his size. Um, he has a ton of tape. So you can watch so much uh, Trey Brown <laughs> and really get to it. Um, and yeah, he's, he just, He's, um, you know, another thing too is, is he reminds me of when I scouted Blair, where he just like, sometimes he does stuff and you're like, bro, you shouldn't have done that. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. That. So you watch the Tylen Wallace tape. So there is the one play where he jams Tylen Wallace at the line and he's basically riding him to the out of bounds line so hard that he ends up tripping over his own feet and gives up a catch. And it's like, dude, you had him pressed out of the play and you are just continuing to dog him so hard down the sideline that you got in your own way. And and people who I think a lot of scouts probably look at him because of his arm length and because of his size and say like, well, this guy can't play press. And Pete Carroll obviously disagrees with that assessment at this point. And I, that's why they drafted him. They drafted him to play press zone coverage. This is yep. what he's going. It's what he's really good at. And he's what he's what he's going to do in the NFL for the Seahawks. This is what they're going to try to. They're going to try to have him play press zone. It is a huge departure from what Pete Carroll normally does. Normally, he drafts a guy who has the traits, even if he doesn't know how to play the position and tries to teach him how to play the position. A uh, good example of that, Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers did not know how to play press zone coverage uh, at, at an NFL level, not even close. Brown, on the other hand, he knows how to play this position. This is what he does. He is excellent at it. There is only one player who got interceptions during the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl. It was Trey Brown. He got two. Okay, like this guy is is really good. And um, John Schneider in his press conference said he thought if Trey Brown was six foot, 205 pounds, that he would have been the in the top 10 of this draft. And after watching his tape, I'm not 100 percent sure I disagree with that assessment. He mm. he might not ever be uh, a pro bowler, um, but this is a guy who could be a solid number two corner for many years to come because of just the way he plays the position and how he plays above his size. Uh, don't. Don't uh, don't let the fact that he's five foot nine with short arms fool you into thinking that this guy is going to play uh, only be a slot corner or is only can can play in that role. I feel now, like I'm messing up his name. How tall was Frank Grimes? <laughs> Frank Grimes from The Simpsons. Who's the Who's the Miami cornerback? The Miami cornerback? Yeah, uh, yeah the Dolphins corner. Thank you, um, uh, Brent oh. Grimes. Was it Brent Grimes? Yeah, he should have been Wasn't a friend. The one, the, one, the, one, the one who has the wife that's always like yes. just <laughs> yes. ethering people on Twitter. <laughs> that's I, the one. 
I like, always love. Yes, that I, is Brent. That is Brent Grimes. Okay, me. how tall is Brent Grimes? Because Brent Grimes not a shut five, down corner. Five, t- five ten, one eighty five. Ooh, and this is five nine, one eighty five. Uh, you know what? Best case scenario, Brent Grimes. I'll take it. Uh, good. Uh, prime Brent doesn't Grimes. come with Brent's wife. Does yes. it come with Miko Grimes? Yeah, nope. I kind of want her though because I want her to. Ye- <laughs> I want her to be yelling at 49ers fans on Twitter and stuff. There's pluses and minuses. You know what I actually really thought was fun to watch? Um, Watching Trey Brown uh, play, there's a couple things he did. Like, we talk about him playing above his size. One thing I really liked was on outside screens or in the run game, you remember how Jeremy Lane just had this really interesting way that you just see him knife in and then just dive bomb the backfield? Mm -hmm. I saw Trey Brown do that so many times on tape against legit play like Chuba Hubbard or, um, you know, Texas has some talented running backs. A few of those other teams that they played against, I saw him do it against, um, was it Georgia? Uh, in the playoffs two years ago, I can't remember what the matchup was, but it was in the college football playoffs against top flight talent. And you'll just see him kind of knife in in between an offensive lineman and a tight end or something and just blow up the run play in the backfield by uh, knocking the running back off balance and forcing him wide into help. And it just reminded me a lot of Jeremy Lane and one of the things I really liked about Jeremy Lane pre-injury. So, yeah, he's another guy who... Because Jeremy Lane was pretty skinny. He was only about six foot. And Jeremy Lane kind of played above his size for a while there, too. Yeah. All right. So, the Seahawks pick Trey Brown. Trey Brown, uh, I'm, I might like... I was... So when I we picked him, I was like, oh, man, I don't know anything about this guy. I did not scout him. All I can do is like helmet scout him here to Oklahoma. That's cool. <laughs> but but like I don't have, know anything about him because I like I said, I cut anyone with under 31 and a half inch arms out of my scouting to save time because there's a lot of guys and I don't <laughs> I don't want to have to watch every single dude. But once I watched him, I was like, this is it. This guy is he looks like a Seahawks cornerback. So I give this one an eight as well. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? Uh, I give it a nine. I give it the extra point because it signals to me a positive change in stubborn Pete becoming slightly less stubborn Pete. And so that's worth a point, too. All right. Eric, where you at? Uh, I'm going eight just because of the unknown. But I am giving a bonus point for, like Kevin said, the the Pete seeming to grow just a little bit. Yeah. All right. Last pick, the sixth round. The Seahawks took a guy who I think many thought would already be off the board in the sixth round. Many draft heads had him as a third or fourth round kind of uh, value. An offensive tackle out of the University of Florida, six foot eight, three hundred and seventy pound, three hundred and seven pound Stone <laughs> Forsyth. Uh, favorite thing about Stone Forsyth so far is that he so uh, he dressed up like the Rock with the fanny pack and put the Rock the Stone in the in the pictures, which is really awesome. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, I would say he's actually maybe even six nine. Like he's a tall, he he's big. He's really tall, which can be hard because uh, as famous football guys say, low man wins, right, Kevin? That's fact. So, so in ask Puna, it, it's it's tough. It's going to be tough sledding out there sometimes for Stone Forsyth because of the height. But I don't think that justifies a fall all the way down to the sixth round. Do would you agree with that, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I he was a guy who I was like, oh man, if we got him with our fourth round pick, that wouldn't be a bad value at all. And so to get him in the sixth round feels really good. Um, the thing that I've heard, so he's six eight and change. He's three oh seven. He's got really good footwork. 
He's kind of high cut like a basketball player, which helps with those leverage problems, like it creates them, which is a bit of a problem. He's got 34 and 3 inch arms. He did 25 bench reps at 34 and 3 inch arms, which that's a lot of length pushing a lot of weight. Like this dude already has power, but he needs to add some more anchor and power. But yeah, what he you holds, hear from oh, go ahead. He holds a lot. He's fast, and but he's his power is a lot of uh, is seems like it's a lot of upper body power because he didn't do super great in the jumping drills. Yeah, he's like yeah. wrestling with people a lot mm-hmm. on tape. Um, the thing that a lot of people so what apparently a lot of teams dinged about him was based on his demeanor and his interviews and his play style. You know, people said they were worried that he was soft because he's not. I don't know. He, he doesn't like eat his protein shake bottles. I don't really know what exactly that he means. He doesn't call people bro. Yeah, it's it's one of those like... He's soft-spoken for sure, though. I mean, I've watched three interviews with him now. He's definitely not gonna... And did you see like when they called him? Yeah. I mean, geez, this guy like... <laughs> get excited, dude. You're about to get dropped in the NFL. He seems so... He was like, all right, sure, cool. I'm a... Yeah. I mean, he's just he's a, he's a low-key guy for sure, which is fine. Uh, Marquise Blair only says like 10 words, I feel like. So, I mean, <laughs> per season. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's just guys that are like that, right? Yeah, and so, like, okay, I understand why that pushes him to maybe the fourth or the fifth. But to get him, like, just before round seven starts, I thought was tremendous value because guys like, I think Spencer Brown went in the third, uh, Deontay Smith, um, Tommy Boyle, Josh Ball, who also had some off-field concerns, were all these like giant human raw, like needs a lot of work guys. Uh, and they all went way or way earlier. Stone Forsyth at least knows how to pass block really well. Yeah. So the best thing about Stone Forsyth, I agree is that he's always in the right spot. Like his mirror, his ability to, to understand what the, what the other players plan is and then counteract that plan. He's never, he's never like just getting blown by. He's yeah. always in the right spot. The problem is that, uh, yeah, if he, guys can go low on him or he can get. A know, really he, good bull rusher gives him a lot of trouble. A speed rusher, like I watched him against Ronnie Perkins for Oklahoma, and he just r- rode that dude out of the play. Yeah. But against like, like a really good power rusher, he's going to have some trouble. He's not like a shutdown. He doesn't like just d- vaporize guys. He's None of his tape is like, oh, yeah, that's a guy getting just killing a dude. You know what I mean? There's like plays where he blocks two guys, but it's he blocks it in like the Stone Forsyth way, which is it's very athletic and not very uh, not very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not very dirtbag. You know, it's not very like, oh, he went out there and he just killed a dude and then killed another dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't like get those. Uh, um, Mackay Becton kind of vaporization. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the closest you get is like a guy will try and do speed around the corner with him and he'll just ride the guy until the guy's off balance and then fall on top of him for a pancake. And here's like the that's, thing. that's a big finish for him. You get the impression that the Seahawks were, were, uh, were trying to trade both of their picks up to get stone Forsyth for like 10 picks in a row Yep. from the way they talked about it. Like they were like, Hey, we'll give you both these picks for that. And they're like, no, we'll give you both these picks for that. No. And like, they just kept trying cause they just wanted to get this guy. This was their guy. And they wanted to keep trying to trade up to get him. And eventually the Browns said yes. And, yeah, I mean, I'm into Stone Forsyth. The, the, what's the what's the basement for Stone Forsyth? It's swing uh, tackle. George like, Fant. Like it's he plays swing tackle. He's a backup and he's serviceable when he comes in playing tackle. Probably better than any of the backup tackles we have now. Yeah. And that's the worst case. The worst, and that's not that bad. That's really good for a sixth round pick to get a really useful backup tackle. 
the thing is there's a ceiling here too, which is that if he gains some lower body strength and can really uh, like figure out how to, how to, how to run block anchor and run block. Oh yeah. When he run blocks, he reaches way too much. Like he, yeah, he, he can't has, block he, on the second he, like, level. He whips against out. anybody good. And he falls over, yeah. <laughs> or like uh, just doesn't find a guy because he's like off balance. But but the thing is, is that this, he could be like a good left tackle or at least like a above league, back, above league average one at the uh, at the peak. And that's really good value to get out of a six-round pick. I mean, a six-round pick, you should set your expectations low. How many six-round picks make it every year? Like three or four? And this one, this guy has a lot of talent for where we took him in the draft. So yeah. I'm pretty. I was pretty so, pumped about this pick. You guys really think that he's he's a lock for this team and a lock to to not be on the practice squad, but to be on the roster this year? I would. So be Eric, uh, let me do it this way: consensus big board, which is where uh, they take a lot of the major mocks. Um, Stone Forsyth was the number 106 player and the number 15 offensive tackle. Okay. Uh, we got him at pick 208 and the 23rd offensive tackle. And that's so the sort of thing I really, really care about. This is really a fourth round player. Okay, that's that's what I really care about because consensus is not always right. But let's face it, in this these sort of situations, it's pretty important. And I was excited for this guy because I watched some tape and I was like, okay, so he, <laughs> you said he's not going to go after a guy. The Mackay Becton thing you said, uh, he's very, I feel, leveled and scientific about what he does. It's like he has a job to do and he's going to do it. His dad was an NFL player. So, so he, he learned, he's been learning the position probably his whole life. Yeah. I mean, his, his, if your son, you know, you want him to be like you or whatever. So yeah, his dad's probably in his ear this whole life and he has great technique because of it. And like Kevin said, that name is just, I don't know. You can't get a better offensive lineman name. So he's going to be competing with Jamarco for, for that swing tackle spot. Cedric, I think Cedric Ogbui is pretty much locked in. Like, and we're going to keep four tackles, right? So that's Dwayne, that's Brandon, that's Cedric, and then it's Jamarco versus Stone for that fourth spot. Well, and Jamarco has inside-outside flexibility, so Jamarco could yeah. be competing for an inside spot too. Yeah, with Jordan Simmons and Phil Haynes, because we'll probably, yeah. I'm guessing we'll keep, we will keep nine, uh, nine or ten offensive linemen this year. Mm-hmm. That's usually what we do, and uh, yeah, then yeah, that's what we'll and. When we get to our UDFAs, maybe we'll talk about a couple more. But we don't, we're not going to have time to go over all the UDFAs today. We're going to have to split them up into this week and next week, I think. But yeah, Stone Forsyth, awesome. I, I gave this pick a 10. It's incredible value for where we picked him. And uh, I just think there, I can't really think of anything bad to say about it. If it's, if it's a long-term need, we need to start a tackle project for a succession plan for Dwayne Brown. This does that and also accomplishes the goal of having a backup tackle for this year. So cool. Good job. Good job, Seahawks. Stone Forsyth. Uh, yeah, same. Right. It's a 10 for me. He's uh, like, worst case, he doesn't work out, and it was a six-round pick, but it was totally worth the flyer. All right. Hey, Eric, did, would you yeah. give it? Uh, I'm probably at a nine just because 10, I, I definitely want him to work out. Six-round pick. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, man, very enticing. So, so I had a lot of thinking about this. It's like it's hard because – the Seahawks, the actual players they picked, very happy with that. The lack of draft capital is obviously a problem, right? So how do you grade a draft like this? And I, I went, I went back and forth about it a lot, but I think you, for me, I have to give it like a B minus because, and I bounce between like C, C plus, B minus, B, um, but you have you can't give it too high of a grade just because there's only three guys, and we know the draft is kind of a crapshoot, right? We know that in the late rounds only a few of these guys per round really work out and so for me personally i i just 
you know, you want more shots at, at getting, you know, useful players or whatever. Now, I do feel really good about where the team is at right now. And we'll go over this in a little more detail next week. But like corner between Witherspoon, Flowers, Brown, Desir, like there's two guys in there that and DJ Reed, sorry, and DJ Reed, there is two guys in there that can play outside corner on a week to week basis. I'm not worried about it. And the like third I, guy that you can you can lean on for depth would be yeah. most likely the case too. Yeah, and then and then we got you know we got Amadi and Blair to play the uh, to play the slot, and we've got Adams and Diggs to play safety. This is I think I think they they really it kind of came together for them. And yeah, DT is still kind of the 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 hole, but you know they brought in Kim DJ. Maybe they can squeeze a little blood from that stone. All right, Kevin, what uh what would you give this uh, this draft? Uh, I'm kind of in the same spot where I was think I was kind of flip flopping between C plus and B minus because the players, I mean, what I gave a seven, a nine and a 10 or a seven, eight and a 10, something like that. So clearly I really like the players we had. This would be like a B plus a minus draft easy if we had drafted this way across all the rounds, but we didn't draft all the rounds. So, okay. And Eric, what do you think? B minus. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go high on this. I'll go B+. Plus. We had three picks. We traded down. We traded back up. <laughs> <laughs> little, little yo-yo action for you? Yeah, a little yo-yo action. But the idea that we actually kept three picks, we didn't go for like, turn this into six picks with a bunch of, you know, late round garbage. I'm really, really happy about that. And we all like the players, so you got to grade it high. Screw it. A-, minus, man. Let's go. All right, and so A minus. You went all yeah. the way up to A. Hey, we like the players. I love that we picked all three positions we wanted them to. I also like that. Come on, this is a, a no ridiculous trade draft, although still ridiculous. Uh, you know, we didn't go for late round garbage in a draft that the Seahawks even admitted they did not care about as much as other drafts. I think that's awesome. So I'm not a teacher. I just I just jumped up. Yeah, give them an A minus. <laughs> uh well this year i mean that i think that's what you do right you just right. you have yeah you have uh you're like oh yeah it's it's uh it's it's remote learning so a <laughs> just just kidding just kidding i'm really grading your kids yeah. stuff yeah. okay <laughs> so, so, so uh let's go ahead and uh let's do a couple udfas so let's go ahead and uh grab a couple of those let's uh this is tough because we only have 10 minutes so i kind of want to like it's like, what do I prioritize? And I think that the UDFAs that created the most excitement were the wide receivers. People yeah. are very excited about the wide receivers that the Seahawks got. I'm actually excited about Brian Mills, and I'm excited about the running backs, Josh Johnson and VJ uh, Emmons. But we, we'll save those ones for next week. Okay, we're gonna go right. ahead and let's do um, let's do the the wide receivers and call it a day. So let's start with the we want to start big or small, Eric. Uh, I'd like to go small and work my way to big. You want to start, start small and build up to to big. Okay, so you don't you want to start with K Johnson and not to not to Maury and Terry. Sure. All right. So K Johnson. So did you did you we talked a little bit about K Johnson prior to the draft? He went mm-hmm. um, pick number seven, or he, he was no wait no he was seventy nine on PFF's big board. He's from it's, Southern yep, Dakota, consensus right? Consensus number one twenty. South Dakota, yeah, and his NFL comp is everyone says is, is Tyler Lockett, right? So, which I don't think he has Tyler's hands. Let's, so that's let's really talk a little bit of, of K Johnson, Kevin. You're you're getting roboted a little bit, but do you want to go first on K Johnson? Yeah, yeah. So he sat out 2020. 
Um, but he was extremely productive in 2018 and 2019. He had uh, 1,200 yards in 2019. He had uh, and he had over 1,200 yards in 2018 and 2019. He was up around 15. He was over 15 yards per catch in each of those seasons. He was really productive in his senior bowl week, which is kind of when he came on to a lot of the radar. So high productivity guy, sub 4540. His physical testing in general was pretty good. Uh, And when you watch him, so one problem is like he won by just being more athletic than the people that were guarding him because of the level of competition. But he does have loose hips. He's got nice wiggle in his routes. Like he's he's an overall good route runner and looks like another guy who can provide some run after catch. Okay. Now, I know a lot of people thought this guy was like a third round pick coming into the draft. I'm going to tell you why he was UDFA. Okay. Because I think that 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 explanation, like I'm going to I'm going to look at the scouting from that perspective. Um, because he, there are things that he does well, but there are a couple things he's not very one. I think he's a really medium athlete. I don't think his athletic testing really blows me away. And when I watch him on tape, he is just beating people that are not prepared to be, to be, uh, to be going against him. And this guy is a certified body catcher. Okay. Like he, his catch radius is, um, not good. And so for me, like, I, I can't imagine like if, him he's and he's he has short arms too so i can't imagine him like if we run him through on a bunch of slots like him reaching high and going for those 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 like kind of high passes uh, i'm not i'm not confident that he's going to be super good on those and so that's why i think he went undrafted on the other hand he's fast he's changing directions really good and uh, like kevin said he played awesome at the senior bowl it's super tough too like he he doesn't mess around like he's willing to to get physical with guys who are significantly heavier and and bigger than him. And so I think K Johnson for a UDFA is awesome. Like this is as much as you could ask for. If we would have drafted him with like a fifth round pick after trading back, I probably would have been fine with that too, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, very productive in, eight, in 18 and 19, as Kevin said, uh, over 1200 yards in both of those seasons. Uh, just a really interesting uh, prospect what he needs to do to be successful in the nfl what he needs to like get under control is he Hit really that needs jugs to, machine he needs to well that but i think he needs to really be the best route runner ever you know what i mean he needs to be like yeah. doug baldwin level technician in running routes because he's not going to create separation running a of a four four nine forty at his he's just not going to do it so he needs to get his separation like with his footwork and with he's smart and I think he can do it. This guy is, he, he's got a little bit of it. I'm excited about Kate Johnson. Not as excited as I think a lot of people are. A lot of people acted like basically we got another draft pick. I think there's a reason he went undrafted in my opinion, but uh, not a bad, not a bad, uh, not a bad prospect. I'm really excited to bring him in and have him compete for the, the bottom end of the roster role. It's going to be basically him. He kind of is the same as I think Penny Hart, where those two guys, Sula, yeah. those toast, three guys right are competing for maybe one or two jobs as the kind of backup slot guy and that's going to be a great competition to watch in camp i think all of those guys have different that merit for different reasons right yep uh, and final, johnson's return experience could be important there too mm-hmm, true that so the other wide receiver we got was tamarian terry so tamarian terry is like the reverse k johnson i cannot i these guys could not have less <laughs> less in common uh played at a big school is a giant, uh, is completely unrefined and, and doesn't have good ch- change of change of direction, but is really, really fast. Uh, Tamarian Terry is faster than, 
and, and more powerful than Cade Johnson. Um, but man, Tamarian Terry, it basically, if you were like, Hey, what's a tall wide receiver who, who has issues? Like just if you built a tall wide receiver who had issues in a lab, Tamarian Terry would probably come out. Tamarian Terry <laughs> is what people who hated DK coming out of the draft thought DK was. Yeah. Like you want to talk about a guy who's like vertical routes only? Was, you could say just straight line, straight. And line another thing too is like yeah. kind of turns like a battleship on those vertical routes too. Yeah, like like if he's running a slant and go, like there's no sell on the slant because he takes a long time to power down. Like his three cone was close to respectable, but his shuttle kind of exposes the fact that it's just change of direction isn't sudden. He's just big and he's fast in a straight line. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like him, you know, I think that, uh, that he's, he's solid, but it's just, it is. Well, I mean, he's yeah, a limited player as a UDFA. I like him. It's like Kate a, Johnson. I really like him with an undrafted chip on their shoulder. Right. Exactly. Undrafted is the perfect spot to get a guy like this. He's, uh, he's going to be competing for like the, the outside, uh, depth chart role with like Aaron Fuller and, uh, Cody Thompson and, uh, did see Darvin Kidsey. There's, there's like three guys, uh, those three guys plus Terry that they're going to be probably competing for like one job. Yep. And uh, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome to see in camp. I think this guy could come in and he could really win that last, that kind of last wide receiver on the roster. He's great, great competition for that. Yeah. Terry's another guy who kind of got over talk because in 2019, he had a huge season. He almost had 1200 yards in the uh, ACC, but it was kind of, I don't know. I don't want to call it fake production, but kind of fake production. Like he was the man in that offense. And so he used his catch radius and everything, but it was basically just slant, go, hitch, and then like screen shovel passy things where they're like, hey, you, you only athlete that we can use. We're going to give you the ball a lot. Yeah. So. All right. That's uh, that's all we'll do for today. We'll hit the rest of the. Uh, is there is there any one guy that you were really excited about, Kevin, other than that, that you'd want to talk about? Because we do have a little bit of time. Is there any. Uh, let's talk about Brian Mills. Let's take one defensive guy. Oh yeah. Brian Mills. Okay. Let's do it. So Brian Mills is an interesting guy. He's a corner out of North Carolina central. So D two. And, um, if I, so if you took his measurables and put them on Trey Brown's skill set, you have the ultimate Seahawks corner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's well, anytime like a small school guy goes to the senior bowl, like you're like, okay, this guy's going to be big or fast or something. They got, they've got some physical trait that makes them interesting. So, yeah. And he was six, one, 32 inch arms. Uh, he did 19 bench reps, 37 inch vertical, 10, four broad. And now there's a reason why he didn't talk about the running numbers because he had a four, six, 40, a seven, two, three cone and a four, three, one shuttle. This guy was not especially fast in a straight line, but you know, on the bright side, he also couldn't turn very quickly. So he needed to press you and erase you at the line. Okay, here's the thing about Brian Mills. Okay, if you watch his tape, he's 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 very good at staying with his man in physical physical being physical with his man, mirroring what this, his his uh, the route and running with his guy. He's sloppy because the players he's playing against suck, you know. So like, yeah, it's it's fine. And he gets grabby. But if he if he can get stronger, and he's like the perfect guy to put in your practice squad for a year yep. and, and then be like a break year two breakout because if he gets a little stronger and learns to play the position, which he is not 
he has not done yet, yet that yet. But if he learns to play position, gets a little stronger, he could be very good. And Seattle is a really good place for him because we like this profile, right? Fast in a straight line, maybe not the best change of direction, but but players who are t- physically tough, pretty smart, and uh, and can can really run, do well in our system. So I think Brian Mills is like a pretty much a perfect like Seahawk. This is the kind of guy I would hope that we draft in round seven. Right? Yeah, and this is a guy with barely any snaps too because he went to JUCO. And then he didn't play a full schedule in 2019. And then he sat out 2020 for COVID. So, or sorry, sat out 2020 because of the, uh, the way the season was played at lower levels. Cause uh, they did spring football. Yeah. They're playing so now. This they're guy play, played like season six is, games or something like that. Their season is just ending now. Right. Right. Uh, he, pl- he played in uh, nine. I'm looking yeah. At it right now. So he's played nine games of college football basically. And it shows. Yeah, if he if he would have test if he would have ran faster, he would have got drafted. Like if yeah. he would have if he would have had better three cones and, and all that jazz at his pro day, he would have. I think he would have gone in the sixth round. This tape is actually pretty promising. It's the the physical testing didn't kind of live up to what you thought it would be based on the tape, which is too bad. But it is what it is. But could be good for us. Yeah, yeah he's definitely worth a flyer. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, I agree. Totally worth a flyer. So, all right, there are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to punthub.us. And for as little click anywhere on the screen, for as little dollar twenty four a month, join our Patreon, get access. Me and Kevin are gonna do some video breakdowns of the, the at least the drafted players. Since there's three of them, I, we can manage that. Maybe we'll do some UDFAs too. Uh, so thank you to those people that are are uh, part of the oh, I'm trying to sort that part of the, the group here. So we got Andy, Brett, Cooper, Greta uh, James, Carrie, Lucas, Ryan, Tom, Emmanuel, Bob, Casey, E.B., Phloctomus, Foles, Jay, Kieran, Michelle, Mike, Mike. That was right in a row. I, I changed the order, so now it's like now now that things like that are gonna like stick out to me. <laughs> uh, Richard, Sam, Thomas, Warwolf, uh, and then there's two more. Sorry, I gotta get those ones. Uh, Lucas, Brandon, Nick. Okay, so another thing. Um, if you're in the if you're in the Patreon, make sure you're in the Discord because we're going to be putting up the fantasy leagues once again. Free prizes. Uh, you just join. If you win, you go, if you beat us, you get a prize. Yeah, but so you just got to beat us, yeah. Yeah. If you don't beat us, then you get nothing, and you like it. Take that person who got second in the dynasty league to me. A dynasty draft's <laughs> going on now, so you can kind of track that in the fantasy football <laughs> channel. It's been it's pretty fun so far. Lots of trades uh, already. Trades going crazy in the in the draft. It's been pretty good. I'm I'm trying to trade Eric for a, yeah. A, that's a, probably a no. I want the Darnold. Give me the Darnold, Eric. I not want for, him. Not for a fourth round pick, bro. Get out of here. What do you want? What do you want for the Darnold, Eric? Hey, hey, hash this out later. We have important it's, business we, to attend to. Yeah, don't try and wait, take that away take from this the pick to the bank, Eric. The blood bank. What, Eric? I just want. I just want you to know, though. I'm very. I'm. I, I, my my interest in the Darnold is legitimate. Okay. Uh, all right. Here we go. Uh, our movie this week is a 1990 American action thriller starring Steven Seagal and Kelly LeBrock. It is hard to kill. And uh, I'll be honest, I haven't seen this movie since the year 2000, so I'm going to let you boys uh, kind of drive drive the train this week. Uh, Kevin, tell me about Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill. You know what, Eric, do you want to go over the the plot, the story of this movie? <laughs> uh, well, it was filmed at the end of the 80s as it came out in 90, and it straddles the the perfect 90s action movie mold yet still keeping with the ridiculousness of the 80s action movies. This movie is about Mason Storm. He is, I don't know if 
he yeah that's it's like the stone forsyth of action movie heroes uh <laughs> i don't know if this guy is a super cop but he's a good cop he's a great cop and he's looking looking to find out what's up with the corruption in his city mason storm uh stumbles upon a deal with with <laughs> a crime boss and someone in a position of power but he just doesn't know who and we uh, know that because he chooses to narrate his own thinking out loud <laughs> while I, doing a stealthy stakeout. I always like, love like, good who is do. this guy? I always Show love 90s, 90s action movies where they have um, where they have like really dumb names for the star. Like John Matrix. Uh, Mason Storm is a great example of that. Yep. Just a, such a dumb name for it. Anybody <laughs> named Mason in real life I've met, I'm like, get out of here. Just stop. So... <laughs> So uh, Mason any, Storm uh, uh, followers and <laughs> no patrons. Mason. <laughs> That's a hey. You know what? We'll talk about it. We'll we'll have you change your name. No. <laughs> so <laughs> M- Mason Storm gets on the wrong side here, and uh, he gets he gets murdered, and he gets his his family murdered. Psych. His, fam- his family gets murdered. I was going to say not murdered. Psych. His wife is the only one who gets murdered. His son is still alive, and Mason Storm is just in a coma for what fifteen eight years, something like that. Uh, so these, you know, he comes out of this coma. Uh, he's trying to escape this hospital. He must escape to avenge his wife's death and reunite with his son. And uh, wow, it's it lives up to his title because Mason Storm really is hard to kill. Yeah, because they definitely try and kill him a whole bunch of times. Never succeed. Yeah, Kevin, once. what is your... Uh, Let's just go straight to one of your favorite scenes. Give it, give me, give me a scene in this movie that you just love. Okay, so, uh, gosh, which one? It's so yeah, hard. That, that's uh, for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Real quick, we are going to cuss a lot because we need to quote this movie, and I have uh, a. I actually have a, left left that one out because yeah, it's a cuss. There's a cuss. I have a particular take on this movie that is uh, PG thirteen at best. I'll say for the end. So go ahead and quote that line, Nathan, if you'd like. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it, but the, the... <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, so but this is this is like um, so anyway. While you guys were talking right there, I was just watching clips from the movie, like refreshing my memory, because like just like reminding myself what happens in this movie, and you can tell Steven Seagal rewrote this movie. Because like <laughs> everything Steven Seagal is doing is like he's just so cool and like it's what a thirteen year old thinks is really bad. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. As and, like, I did when I they're saw using it. they're using slow motion to cover up how slow Steven Seagal is. Like, oh my gosh, everything he does you is can't just cover up how he runs. So laborious, you know. It's just it's like oh my gosh, how was Steven Seagal so cool in the nineties? But then you know he whispers a couple lines and you're like, oh yeah, that's how. Well, okay. Kevin and I discussed something where his training regiment, like he can't really do a whole lot. He can't lift anything heavy, but he's putting posts. <laughs> he's putting posts into train in his yard and he has no problem yeah, doing that. Posts. that is, fence posts. That's enough training right there. I've had to put in a fence post. It's the worst thing. I'm still sore from it like three years ago. Okay. So um, I would like to say one of my absolute favorite things from this is the entire hospital sequence because you have <laughs> Kelly LeBrock, who was one of the like hottest ladies of the eighties, yes. and she plays a um, she plays a nurse who apparently can't get a date because that's believable, and she ends up uh, with a very like somewhere there's a prequel that's a romantic comedy 
where Kelly LeBrock just pretends that she's dating this guy in a coma. And it's um it's her oh, yeah, she, dating. She, she thinks him he's so, laying... <laughs> so yes. hot and sexy, even though he's just laying in a he's in a coma. Looking like, like Rip Van Winkle. Actually, I thought that she uh managed to make him look a lot like Pierce Brosnan looks now. Which is <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> so that was a thing. That's good, Kevin. Um, and then I like how the movie has disappearing, reappearing muscular atrophy. Cause he can't walk, but he can definitely like pull himself with his arms into um, a elevator or like fight somebody off the, just the, the disappearing reappearing medical knowledge in this movie is outstanding. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Eric? okay. The bet, the best scene in this movie is the one that I'm remembering now where he, they're in the convenience store and he, <laughs> some assassin or some, this is uh, the beginning of he the fights movie. off some hoodlums and then he the they kill the shop owner or the shop owner dies and then yeah, he, he lets wa- the shop owner get like straight up shot because he wasn't gonna fight at that point apparently yeah and then he he just leaves with a teddy bear and a bottle of champagne he just in a very <laughs> awkward cut where because the whole gag is at the beginning he's like how come you're not watching the oscars and after he, you know, breaks the leg of the, the last guy, it just cuts to, like, the cops cleaning up the mess. You won the Oscar tonight, Storm. Just say, oh, wow. What great <laughs> acting. What great writing. What great also, everything. Also, like, the, the hoodlum guys that he's fighting, like, the I swear, the guy he's fighting must be, like, f- that he breaks his leg. He must be, like, five foot four. 108 pounds like there's there's also the one uh hairy white guy in the gang who attacks him twice and one time he throws into some some boxes the the first time i think he he flips them onto a mat in the store because there's all these mats around for no reason because obviously their stuntman doesn't want to hurt anyone and they didn't have time to edit that out i found that watching it a couple weeks ago another thing too is that the he seems so happy after this happens. Like he just watched some guy get murdered in a convenience store, but he's just like, just life goes on, you know, just, <laughs> just keep on, keep it on. I call Steven. this Tuesday Senator. Uh, I'll say this about the movie that is that a lot of people miss. It's about the love of his wife and how, you know, two <laughs> weeks after he gets out of the coma, which is basically two weeks after he finds out about his wife's death, he is banging Kelly LeBrock with reckless abandon and it's just good to see that he really avenged his wife and really cared about her good for you mason storm you know i also like the part where he manages to wedge in asian culture by having the doctor um apparently be uh really into asian culture in the way too plush manner that they get to stay at at the ranch so like you know good on you to live your best life steven seagal um yeah uh this pick up full these, of dumb one-liners pick up these oh, herbs yeah. have you have you seen uh have you steven seagal man this is movie is how you know he sucks at lifting weights like holy <laughs> smokes that montage that training montage and he's lifting weights it's not good his yeah, form is very bad Form's he, bad it's gonna hurt himself uh I'll, I'll end with this kevin you know here's the thing though you've seen him run of course his form is bad his form is bad in everything <laughs> kevin what is this movie about uh, this movie is about one what's man's true, love for many women. Uh, guys, Revenge. guys. Vengeance. Revenge, is it, Nathan? Vengeance. I think you're wrong, and allow me to map it out for you. 
This movie is about Steven Seagal's character and his penis. <laughs> so at the beginning, I, I, I carry, I believe I called that. Yeah. So at the beginning, right. at the beginning, he's, uh, you know, he's got his video camera with this ridiculously long mic, a phallus, if you will, uh, during the breakup of the, uh, the hooligans, the people in the, in the liquor store, he immediately makes a joke where he's like, Oh, mine's bigger than yours. Okay, there's obviously like he needs to reference his penis. He then goes to have sex with his wife. Wife is murdered. It basically says the bad guys say, no, your penis isn't going to work tonight. Uh, he's in a coma. Kelly LeBrock looks at his his penis and says, please wake up, which as a 12 year old, I was like, get out of here. But as uh, a 12 year old that was writing it named Steven Seagal, thought it was a great line. <laughs> he thought it was it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then, Kevin, what happens at the end here, at the very end, when he goes against the, the senator congressman, he goes to shoot his penis off. Fact. And it misses. And he goes, oh, my God, it's so small. Why do we know that? Because Mason Storm's penis reigns supreme. I figured it out <laughs> after 30 years. This movie is uh, what it's truly about, and now I'm it's, deeply disturbed. It's Steve, uh, Steven Seagal's magnum second. opus I need to for take his a half, Yeah, I was about to say, give me a quick second. I need to take a half star off my rating now. <laughs> I thought you were going to put a half star on. <laughs> so no. you're dropping it down to four then. Okay. I am. You could take that to the bank, Senator. The sperm bank. The sperm. Uh, <laughs> all right. You guys ready for this? Hard to Kill debuted at number one in the box office with an opening weekend gross of $9.2 million. At the time, it was the biggest three-day February opening of all time. Wow. Woof. Woof. <laughs> That's right there with Buzz's girlfriend. Yeah, straight up Buzz's girlfriend. <laughs> um, and then a trailer for another fun fact. A trailer for the movie reveals that in the original ending of the movie, uh, spoiler alert, Mason Storm kills Senator Vernon Trent. So, uh, Played go. by the Grim Reaper from the uh, Bill and Ted movies. Yes, and William Sadler. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he is. Uh, now I got to go check down that trailer for our, my uh, for my collection. All right, for uh, for Kevin, for Eric, we will uh, see y'all next week. Go Hawks.